I'm teaching on John chapter 10. This is a a section called The Good Shepherd. This is something probably most of us in here have either heard or been taught uh, from sometime in our lives. John 10, The Good Shepherd. Uh, I've taught on it at least once while I've been in this house. I've taught on it, I know, a few times over my life. Uh, I have taught parts of this wrong at least a few times. And I'm like learning that. I think that's part of what's interesting. You know, we're talking about pursuit and perfection. Like there's times that as we're pursuing Jesus, we believe one thing, but the deeper we pursue, the more he begins to reveal and help us understand things. So I know there's parts of this I've taught wrong in other times. If you dig deep enough on the internet, you could find it and you'd be like, that's not what you said last time. I know. That's part of the amazing thing about our faith is as we begin to like pursue Jesus and dig deeper, he reveals even more as we dig into scripture. Uh, and so I really felt compelled to dig deeper into this passage, John 10, this idea of the good shepherd, because I know so many of us who've been in church for a while are very familiar with it, um, and we may not fully understand it. And I, I really think um, that like today, it's my, my goal is a little different. A lot of times I get up here and I'm, I'm very preachy and I'm very excited. Uh, today, I really feel like I'm supposed to be teaching and helping us understand scripture a little bit more deep uh, because that's something that we don't always take the time to do. A lot of times we have something and it creates an emotional reaction with us or we have a revelation of it and we just kind of take it and like we, we just jump all over the emotion and the excitement of the word, but we don't actually look at what it's really saying. And I think this is one of those things that when we understand what Jesus himself was talking about when he said he was the good shepherd, it's gonna activate something deeper than what I can do as a communicator, as a charismatic, um, uh, uh, orator, right? Like this isn't just what I'm trying to convince you of. This is what scripture says. And I was blown away this morning as, as I was praying for this. I'm like, church, we need to take notice when Jesus himself is describing himself. Because there's a lot of times that we're going through scripture and we see prophets talking about him and we see people kind of talking about the things of him. And, and those things are really great. But when Jesus himself in red letters said, this is who I am and he in his godness and wisdom said, this is how I would liken myself so that you would understand my character. I don't think it's just like a cute parable to say he's a shepherd. I don't think it's this idea that he kind of threw out haphazardly. There's a lot of intentionality in this and we can get so excited by what we understand of the idea of shepherding or of being sheep that we can run away before we even unpack the fullness of what Jesus himself was saying in red letters here. And so I think it's important not just to take scripture immediately and run with it, but to rest in it, to begin to dig deeper in it. Um, and so we're going to do that today. Is that cool? Awesome. So I'm going to read this text and we're going to unpack it and like actually work through this together. And I think what's awesome is I don't think my job today is so much is to tell you what this is saying as to show you how to see this correctly. And I believe Holy Spirit is going to do uh, one of his primary jobs and that is to reveal Jesus through scripture today. And so as we unpack this together, I'm hoping you have your own revelation of what this means. This isn't my opportunity to tell you this is the exact way to take John 10. It's to open your eyes and to allow Holy Spirit to begin to connect dots for you. Is that good? All right, so here we go. Let's jump in. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, John 10, we're reading most of it. And um, go ahead and keep it open and keep it ready through the day because we're going to kind of jump in and hit different parts of it, all right? Here we go. John 10, uh, verses 1 through 18. 
This is Jesus speaking right to the Pharisees, all right? He goes, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, like many of us today, didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some other translations say my purpose is to give them an abundant life or to give them life, life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily so, that, um, so I may take it back again. Oops, excuse me. For I have the authority, there we go, to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. A lot happening there. I promise you two things. You're going to be tired of hearing the word sheep. I've said it so many times this week. I'm going to take a break from that. And we're going to have a better understanding of what's happening here. Uh, there's some strong imagery. I want to unpack it. Uh, our view of shepherding today is very out of touch and out of date with what's even being communicated in the scripture. Um, and when we actually understand what Jesus is communicating at that time to those people, it's going to activate deeper things in here. Uh, so we're going to take time to understand it. This is called, you've heard a lot of us throw this word around before. We're going to do in church today what's called exegesis. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. Exegesis. What does that mean? Glad you asked. Exegesis is a critical explanation or interpretation of a text, especially scripture, that's saying if we're going to do exegesis on a scripture, we're not just going to read it and, and just like kind of walk away. We're going to read it. Then we're going to understand the context of it. And we're going to understand what's happening in the book around it, in the chapter around it, in the bigger story of the Bible, what's happening culturally at that time. Now, our teaching team at KC, we do this every single week. So before uh, we get up here on Sunday to preach, we meet and we actually like get our scripture in and we come together as a team and we exegete the scripture. We don't just get up here and say, this felt good this week. Let's talk about it. We sit down with other people who are passionate about the word and we say, what's really happening here? And this is part of why I, I had this text this week when I brought it to the group. I said, guys, I've used this text a lot. I don't think I've used it correctly. Let's dig into this and like, really, let's try to 
understand what's being said here because a lot of us would get up and it's like, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but God came that you'd have life and life abundantly, right? And we throw that around a lot, but we may not actually know what's being said here. So I said, guys, let's dig into it. Let's not just throw it around. We're saying it too much as a church to not understand it. Cool? So here's what a big part of exegesis is. A major part is understanding context. When you figure out what the original author is intending to say, it's going to allow things to click that seemed like really weird that were in there before. The other thing it does, I'm sorry, it will actually flip things upside down that you've believed your whole entire life. Because there are a lot of us who have a secondhand or a thirdhand encounter with scripture, but we've rarely dug in ourselves to understand it and to ask Holy Spirit to actually reveal what's happening there and then to go further and begin to like dig. And the reason why is because so often as believers, we're actually afraid to ask questions because we've asked questions when we were younger or we've asked questions of people who seem like they're authority figures. And when we do, it seems like things kind of unravel and get shaky when in all reality, the deeper you get into scripture, it does not unravel. The deeper you get, you discover just how powerful and intentional it is. What's even crazier, because I hear people say this, is they couldn't have known in this Old Testament prophet or in this story of the Old Testament that what was going to happen, they're just taking it out of context. Absolutely not. Because if you believe that scripture is God breathed, we understand there's what we call, I'm using big words today, guys, I'm sorry. There's a meta narrative. What that means is there's something bigger going on outside of it because the Bible is not a random collection of stories and history that somebody sewed together to create like a religion randomly because people say Christianity is relatively new as a religion, uh, not according to scripture, which says in the beginning was the word. And so we have to understand that any passage we're looking at, there's context of it that's bigger than what it's saying in that one verse. So when we talk about, I am the good shepherd, First off, what's even happening in John around this? Second off, what's John about? Third off, how does this fit into all of creation and all of the story? And if you stop and look at it, and I'm not going to spoil the whole Bible for you, but most of it has to do with like relationship with God, believe it or not. When we started in the garden, there was relationship that was broken down. And ever since then, it was getting back to that relationship to where you go to revelation and the end of the book says, and then we have relationship with the Lord again, that is pure and untainted, that we don't even need a sun or a moon because his glory illuminates the world, right? So if you really look at all of scripture, it's about one thing, relationship with God. How do we have that relationship with God? Jesus. The Bible is telling a story of Jesus. So we don't just get to jump in and say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I can't even have life to the full. So pray for your car, pray for your riches, pray for your stuff because he wants to give you a full life. No. What is this saying? Because Jesus said it. Cool? You guys tracking? This is intense. We're going today. I told you I wouldn't preach and I'm starting to preach, teach. It's very concerning for me actually. All right, guys, let's dig into John 10. I could go a hundred directions with this. I just want to take it at what it says. We're not going to get too in the weeds. If you want to, um, holler at us sometime, someone on our teaching team, and we'll talk to you about this for hours. Um, so I'm going to just try to stay on the main things here. Let's talk about John. Go right back to verse one, if you guys don't mind there, or that first couple slides. Shepherds, we don't actually understand a lot about like shepherding now. Um, shepherds of that day, they didn't have fences. So I know today we think of farming and everyone's got like fences everywhere and stuff. That's not how shepherding worked. Um, they, 
literally took their sheep and they roamed around. They led them to pastures to graze. If you go to Israel today or other countries that still have this style of shepherding, there's just dudes wandering around and sheep following them. They'll shut down traffic. It's like real. We're so organized as Americans. We're like, our boxes, don't touch my sheep. Don't look at them, like leave them alone. Here, shepherding is very hands-on. It's very relational. You don't have sheep without a shepherd, really. Uh, There's a relationship. And so when you look at the entirety of this text, one way to really focus on is this text is about relationship. When Jesus is saying, I'm a shepherd, he's not saying, "Uh, I've organized you and I've bought you and I've put you in a fence somewhere and I own you now. He's saying, we do life together. There's a relationship here. So now at night, we talk about this. Uh, um, Anyone who goes over the walls rather than going through the gate must be a thief. We're talking about the sheepfold here. Uh, There's something funny. So they don't have fences during the day. But at nighttime, listen, I learned when you are a new parent, you don't get to sleep. Like you're on 24-7. And I like, I want to look at like my daughter and I'll be like, you understand it's unreasonable. You get to sleep. And she's just like, no, you have to be available 24 seven. Shepherds can't be available 24 seven. And when you're just like, have no fences, anything that wants a sheep can get it. And so what would happen is they had what were called the sheep folds, which we see in scripture here, which would be a place in the city. It would be a common area where at night, all the sheep and shepherds are wandering out and doing their thing. And then, you know, mom rings the dinner bell and all the shepherds and all the sheep begin roaming back to town for the evening. And what would happen is all of them would put their uh, sheep into the sheep fold, which was basically a big room with stone walls and no ceiling. That way they could all be there and be safe at night. You're like, wow, that's fascinating. What it did is it protected them. And there wasn't a normal door there. Um, What there was, was one of the shepherds would literally lay himself like and sleep in the doorway or stand guard or whatever they would do in, in, in that situation and would stand at the doorway. So you've got this big room with all these random sheep in it with no ceiling because you don't want a ceiling with animals. You need somewhere for the smell of animals to escape. And a shepherd would sit at the gate. And then the next morning would come and all the other shepherds who had the night off, they'd come in and, uh, They'd make a call, get their sheep, and go out, right? So when Jesus is saying he is the gate, he is literally, he's not saying I'm a wooden door, I'm a wooden door somewhere. We always think like he's the door. No, he's saying my body comes into your place of rest and sits at it, and what does the gate do? It is protecting our rest, and it's watching over us. This isn't Jesus taking from us. He's giving to us. He's giving us rest, all right? We're going to come back to the gate a little bit more here, but does that make sense? You've got the visual right now, right? There's a shepherd. He's got his best Christmas shepherd pageantry on. He's got his stick and everything, and he's standing at the doorway, and there are sheep in there, and he's saying, sheep, you rest. I'm watching right now. When he talks about thieves and robbers here, like we said, sheep smells got to get out, so there's no ceiling The only way for a thief or a robber to come in is to attack the shepherd at the gate or for them to climb over the wall. So here's what Jesus is saying here. It helps us understand this. If someone is coming through the door, that means they have authority over the sheep. Because if there's a shepherd watching and he sees, you know, other shepherd, John, come up by, he's like, oh, yeah, hey, your sheep are in here, John, come on in. If someone does not come through the door, 
What does that mean? They're coming in to take something that doesn't belong to them. I'll let Taylor preach that one some other time because this is something we see all through scripture, people taking what doesn't belong to them. He likens this to the religious leaders of the day in this scripture where their role was to serve the people as priests. They're supposed to maintain relationship with God through teaching of scripture, through sacrifices, through these things. But in all reality, at this time where Rome was very political, they were actually oppressive to the people and using their position to benefit themselves. They were takers, not givers. See, we see Jesus in here being a giver. He's saying, I'm giving you rest. Go rest in the sheepfold. If you find someone in the sheepfold who's not a shepherd, who's not there to protect rest, they're only there for one thing to take, right? They're takers, not givers. Instead of leading the people, they were leveraging the people. And so that's why, right? This is what I take from it. When you see someone sneaking in the pen, it's not for the good of the sheep. There's a scheme. If you come through the gate, it's because you're there to serve the sheep. And I want to speak just like this moment specifically to people in their life who have a pastoral calling or like a ministry leadership calling, because there's a little side note right here. When Jesus is saying, I am the gate, there's a proper way to come in and have relationship with the sheep. If Jesus appoints you, then you enter through him into pastoral care. But if you want in the pen and you are willing to climb over whatever is in the way to get in there, then you may actually indeed be exploiting the sheep for your good and not for their benefit. Because self-appointed shepherds are not shepherds at all. But they're actually thieves. There is no such thing as self-appointed shepherds in the kingdom. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, He's saying, no one comes in except through me. And if you see someone sneak in, they don't belong here. So I speak that to young people, to people wherever you are. To people, maybe you've, this has been me in life, where I'm like, what, what wall do I need to climb over to fulfill my need to shepherd? He's like, there's no wall to climb over. You got to come through me. And if the shepherd says, no, guess what, brother, sister, it ain't your season. Side note, right? Let's keep going, yeah? Um, This is fun. We learning something today? Cool. The shepherds, they weren't worried. I know what you guys are worried about. We're Americans. We're like, you mean they put all of their sheep in one room and whoever wants to can just be like, oh yeah, that's, that's my sheep. Come on, let's go. Come on. Right? No, he goes, the sheep know my voice. Very interesting here. The shepherds did not worry about their sheep getting mixed in with other flocks because they had a personal relationship with their own flock. The shepherds had a unique call and the sheep actually knew that call and they knew their sheep. Today, again, our shepherding is very different. We brand and tag animals because a lot of times we don't have a relationship with them. We look at livestock a lot of times as possession as money, like, yes, like, yes, that's part of it. But so much of like shepherding today or ranching today is animals living in a fence with no human contact, mostly. They're bred, they're sent out, they have thousands of acres that you can't even understand. There's so many cows, so many cattle. There's no relationship. They're basically wild with boundaries. And then at some point in time, some human comes and throws them in a cart and sells them. I think when we think about that, sometimes that's how we feel. We're like, oh, we're sheep. So Jesus just throws us out in a box somewhere and it's no fun. And then he comes and takes from us. 
That's not what's being said here. As a matter of fact, um, there's so much personal relationship happening um, that literally these sheep knew his voice and they lived with him. So when Jesus is talking about shepherding, he's not talking about like big business ranching. He's talking about personal relationship, connection, and intimacy. I think this is really key because when you talk about sheep, let's talk about sheep for a minute. Who knows about sheep in here? Couple people, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Sheep is a like derogatory term in America. They're like, you sheep, you just follow whoever's in front of you. And I'm like, actually, sheep are really intelligent animals. They learn voices and faces and they use different tones to express emotions for themselves. I learned this, they can self-medicate with plants. If they know they're sick, they actually understand how to like figure out what helps. They are independent from birth, but they prefer to live in a community setting, meaning like basically from birth, they can kind of like, hey, I walk, I do my thing, um, but they, they live communally. They can remember at least 50 sheep or human faces. So you're not talking about stupid creatures wandering around helpless. You're talking about intelligent communal people that don't forget things and can do some of their stuff. And so when he's describing us, he's actually describing us as an intelligent creature that lives in community, yet are reliant on someone outside of ourselves to provide true safety and care. Sheep do fine on their own, but they thrive with a shepherd. Sheep do fine on their own, but they thrive with a shepherd. We see wild sheep. There's a difference between the fruit of a sheep led by a shepherd than there is what just kind of happens in the wild. Now, Predators, such as wolves and mountain lions, are going to be a concern during the day. So when Jesus talks here about the hired hand and the wolf comes and what happens there, uh, like I said, there's no fences. Uh, they don't necessarily have 150-pound uh, livestock dogs out roaming with them. These guys are going out, leading their sheep um, into the wilderness or wherever, their pasture places, whatever word you would use for it, and eating and spending the day with them. And that's why things like wolves and lions would be a concern. You hear David, uh, before he's king, when he's talking, about Goliath, he said, he was a shepherd. He goes, I've killed lions and I've killed bears. What more is this uncircumcised Philistine to my God? <laughs> You're like, listen here, little boy. You've been chilling in the woods, killing lions and bears? That's crazy. This is why he mentions the difference between a hired hand and a shepherd. If they are your sheep, friends, you're going to treat the lion different than if you're being paid minimum wage to watch over the sheep. How can I, how can I make this make sense? Uh, has anyone here ever house sat before and someone's like, I'll give you 20 bucks to watch my house for a week? You're like, sure. We, we love this. My, my wife and I, when we were doing missions a lot, we'd travel. We would find whoever of our friends was like 19 or 20 and needed cash, needed to not live in their parents' house for two weeks, and needed like unlimited Netflix access. And there's like, this is a sweet deal. Of course I'll house it for you. Are you kidding me? I get my own house. Today, if you're house sitting, right? Let's say you're sitting there, you're watching Netflix in my house, you're hanging out, my dogs are there. You're like, this is great. And someone breaks in my house while you're there. You're going to be like, eh, not my problem. Dude, it's not even my house. Just take what you want. Like, right? Like your reaction to if you're just like house sitting someone's thing for 20 bucks in Netflix and frozen pizza is you're going to be like, ooh, not my problem. Like you're just going to sneak out the back door. But if someone 
today while you're having dinner with your family after church broke into your home and then makes a plan or makes a move to steal precious things from you, whether it's your children or whether it's heirlooms, I would think it would invoke a completely different response. And this is what Jesus is saying is he goes, I'm not a hired hand who when the wolf shows up, uh, runs away. There are people who do that, but I am the one who fights against whatever enemy comes to kill. This is really important. Two more little notes here. We're going to put all this together, all right? Shepherds. Jesus is describing himself as a shepherd. This is very interesting. Shepherds were considered unclean at that time. Jesus, who is in his own right a teacher, like a religious leader, is saying, I actually liken myself to someone whose work makes them unclean. A lot of times the shepherds are going to be separated from the regular community and especially the religious community because purity and cleanliness is a must there. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. But of all the things Jesus could pick, often he picks parables that make him look like he's unclean and dirty. It's very fascinating. The work that shepherds did is full of uh, beautiful, cute sheep, right? Fluffy sheep. Yeah, for sure. Also full of manure, and blood, and dirt, and bugs, and diseases. It's not as idealistic as the parables make it sound. I think we watch the children's productions at Christmas time of shepherds, and our kids walk in, and they've got their thing, and they've got their headband, and they're like, come on. And it looks like so clean and happy, and you see these beautiful paintings that, like in the Renaissance, where people did of like David in the field with his harp lounging with the sheep. David is like, yo, I've killed lions, S, bears, S, S, plural, and all I needed was this rock. That ain't clean, friends. It's hands-on and it's dirty. So when Jesus himself is describing himself as a shepherd, he is saying that leading and loving, he's leading and loving a people that may be unclean or they may be messy. But Jesus lays his life down because he loves them. Chew on that for a minute. He could choose any image that he wanted to describe the way that he leads and loves. And he chose something, a work, that would make him unclean in religious life. But absolutely vital to the sheep's life. Now finally, this is very interesting, right at the end here. Jesus makes it a point to say, I am not forced to lay down my life. I do so willingly. It's a further emphasis of his heart and what makes him the good shepherd. What does this have to do with shepherding? The wolf and the lion, wolf and the lion's not interested in the shepherd when they show up. Predators, they are looking for the animal of least resistance. This isn't like, prison in TV where they're like, go punch the biggest guy when you get there. Like the wolf's not coming out and thinking like the guy with the sword and the sling I'm going to take. No, he's looking for the isolated. He's looking for the elderly, the sick, the one that separated themselves from the community. He's looking for the infants, the baby and the wolf, the enemy, the lion is coming and saying, I'm going to target that which looks weakest and sneak off. They're not looking for a fight. They're looking for a meal. So if a shepherd wanted to, he had a lot of sheep. He could see the lion come in and be like, 
ah, I don't like Ralphie anyway. He's kind of got diseases. Like, hey, take him. <laughs> Leave us alone. Go eat on him for a week. Right? The shepherd could see the lion come in and just be like, keep moving, guys. Like, keep moving. He only needs one of us. But what Jesus is saying is he would choose to put himself between you and the wolf. When you get between a wolf and his meal, now you're the wolf's priority. What Jesus is saying is, no one's making me do this. When I see the enemy come in, I choose to put myself between them, between the wolf, between the sheep. I'm not a hired hand. I don't work for God. I chose this. It says uh, Philippians 4, maybe, help me Bible people, where it said, um, be like Christ, who didn't think himself as a, who didn't think of himself too highly, who was on a throne in heaven, yet chose to come down to earth and humble himself. Philippians 2, thank you, who, who chose to come down to earth to humble himself as a man, to die a death he didn't deserve. That's what he's saying. He's not just saying, I'm a shepherd, like follow me, let's eat. He's saying, I choose you sheep. And if you follow me, I will stand between you and the enemy. Why? It's his choice, because he loves you. It's beautiful. All right, is that good? Did we learn something? Yeah? A little bit of exegesis here. Let's put this all together, guys. Here we go. Jesus is saying in this passage that he's a good shepherd, that he desires to have personal relationship with the sheep. Who are the sheep? Any of us who know his voice, meaning we have chosen to listen to him when he calls. We've chosen to dedicate ourselves to him. All right. We're not forced to. We're like, I hear the call. That's my guy. By following his voice, we're making a decision to yield to his leadership and to his care. There are going to be those that seek to steal, kill, and destroy, but those people are not the good shepherd. And this is the idea here is there's a lot of us in here that we have church hurt or we're hurt by leaders in the church. And I was praying about this. This is this. I was praying about this this morning. I said, Lord, um, what about the people who are hurt because they were hurt in Jesus' name? And I felt him say, there are a lot of people doing things in my name who are not doing things with my heart. And this is a call to the sheep because there are a lot of people who've been in church situations or mentorship or father, mother, um, mothering situations where someone in the name of Jesus has hurt you. This is why he's going into detail in this passage to say you will see people come over and hurt. Make no mistake. Did they come through me or did they say, yo, I'm here with Jesus. When we see um, kids, when we talk about kids and we've been watching the show where um, it's called the parent test, it's fantastic. But one of the things they do with all the different families is they have a test set up where they have someone that the family kind of knows come and say that they're supposed to pick them up and take them. And what they're testing to see, it's all controlled is will the kid go with that person because they kind of know them and they said they're here for their parents or are they going to stick with what their parents are telling them? Have their parents even told them? Have they given them a safe word? This is something that John Douglas, if Sarah was in here, she'd be so proud, who is a, uh, he's a criminal profiler and psychologist, says your kids should always have a safe word where if anyone's ever coming to pick them up that's not you, they know that bazooka bubblegum, they're going to look at you and say, what's the safe word? And they are not going to leave with you unless you say that. But what they saw is they saw kids who, if their parents didn't teach them that, they're just like, oh, well, I guess you said that you know my mom, so I'm going to get in the car with you and go. 
And what Jesus is speaking about right here is he's going, if they don't come through me, if they don't know the safe word, they may be coming over the wall and saying, oh yeah, Jesus said, I'm starting a church. He said, you should come with me. But here's the thing, sheep don't follow that. We get coerced sometimes, or we just like, like oh, I guess, but what we're supposed to know is his voice, and this is why it's extremely important, and this is what Jesus is saying, to have a personal relationship with him means we know his voice. There's something that kicks up in us sometimes, and we call this discernment, where something's not right, and we feel it, but because of fear, insecurity, anxiety, uh, we don't want to offend or hurt somebody, a lot of times we will ignore discernment and our instinct because someone's invoking something, or they seem smarter, or they seem like an authority in a situation, but it's not real. The sheep know his voice. And so I think this is where we're too smart sometimes, where we're like, we can reason and logic it out. We actually need to like dumb it down a little bit and be like, that you did not come through the gate. You did not come through the gate. You do not have my best interest at heart. I think this is a big part of this. And so he's saying anyone who does that, if you've been hurt by pastors in your life, if you've been hurt by other Christians in your life, you've probably been hurting someone in the name of Jesus but did not have his heart. And that's a hard thing to walk as a converse to leaders and ministers in this room is you can walk a line where you enter through him, but there's a point in time where you begin to use the sheep for yourself. All of a sudden you've lost his heart. That's why he goes into so much detail in here of describing what the good shepherd is. When we see those things come up, we have one job. Our job as sheep is to call on the shepherd and let Jesus come fight for us. Whether in the fields or in the sheepfold, his role is to protect the sheep. We have a good shepherd, one chief shepherd, Jesus. Those of us that pastor and lead in churches, we're looking to him for wisdom and direction. What keeps us accountable? It's our motivation. And that's what I'm talking about here is when we when you see someone using a sheep for their own good, they're no longer a shepherd. They're a thief. They're a robber. They're a wolf. They may be feeding on them. When we're laying our lives down for the good of the people, we're partnering with our good shepherd. And I think this is tough because a lot of people, um, not in this church because we're tiny, but a lot of people go to churches and they see the big stuff and they're like, I want to be that guy on stage. Look how cool he is. Look at his shoes. Not these shoes because we're not that big of a church. You guys know what I'm talking about? Look at the worship leader. And we get there and we begin to drool over what we think it looks like to pastor and minister to people. It looks like being dirty, being messy, being with people. And the only thing that continues to sustain those of us who are not living off of the dollars and the glory and taking from the sheep and oppressing the sheep, for those of us who are shepherding and it's costly, what sustains us is doing the will of our Father. What sustains us is the obedience to where he feeds and leads us. And that's why I say there is one chief shepherd ever mentioned in the Bible. Do you see one time? Chief shepherd, arche poiamen, Greek. One chief shepherd, Jesus. Any of those of us who are doing these things, we're lesser shepherds. We're overseers, we're shepherds, we're stewarding people, but we have to do it with his heart. All right, let's summarize this, yeah? We learning something today? A little different. Finally, we can summarize this entire scripture. Now we can get to John 10, 10, which I love. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life and life to the full. We've said it, we've preached it, we've talked about it. When you understand what's happening and what Jesus is saying here, it changes this. Now I can preach a little bit because we're getting out of the scripture and we're getting into the stuff that's really, really wild here. John 10, 10, go ahead and pull it up, guys. The thief's 
purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This scripture is actually summarizing everything about the character of the good shepherd here. What does it mean? Let me tell you this verse is, and you can check me Jesus on Tuesday if you want to. I actually believe this verse is completely 100% about relationship. This isn't about stuff. I've preached it like it's stuff before. I've said it like it's stuff before, but let's look at what it's saying. We see three characters in this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Who do we see? We see a thief. We see sheep. We see a shepherd. What does this look like? We see an enemy. We see Jesus. We see us. What does the thief want to do with the sheep? The thief or the enemy wants what's best for himself. That is what his relationship is with the sheep. It is not for the sheep's good. It is for his good. What about the shepherd? The shepherd desires relationship. The thief lays down the life of the sheep for his good. The shepherd lays down his life for the good of the sheep. The thief lays down the sheep's life for his own good, but the shepherd lays down his life for the good of the sheep. Make sense? Let's boil it down. Let's talk context. All of the book of John it's about two things, loosely. Talking about Jesus being life and talking about him being light. The recurring themes that come up all the time. So if we go and we read the opening of the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through five, this is how John opens up and says, this is Jesus. And when you begin to see him talk, begin to understand that this is what we're talking about. What I love about John chapter one, verses one through five, is it also manages um, to summarize Genesis chapter one in it as well. In the beginning, the word already existed. We're talking about Jesus here. The word was with God, the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so when you see John 10, 10 now, and you see it through the context of this, you see that John 10, 10 is a call to life. It's a call to follow the shepherd. When your life is in possession of the thief, death is imminent. But when you have relationship with Jesus, you have a personal relationship with the same God that existed in the beginning and breathed life into everything. Do you understand what that looks like? There was nothing and he put something from himself into everything and then there was life. All the way back to Genesis, God made Adam and Eve to have personal relationship with him, to walk with him, to talk with him. This is what Jesus is doing right now. He's saying to have relationship with Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying, to have relationship with me is to have a relationship with life itself. What is a rich and satisfying life? It's a revelation of who he actually is and who we are to him. When we understand that when we breathe in, we're breathing in the very life that he breathed and we see in Genesis chapter one, two, three, we're seeing that same relationship. And so what he's saying is the thief comes and if you have relationship with him, it ends in death. 
But when you understand who I am and you understand that as a shepherd, my desire and my promise for you is to have a rich and satisfying life. It's the fullness of understanding. So he says, I came that you would have life to the full. What he's saying is, I came so that you and I could have relationship. And through that, you would have a revelation of who you are to me and who I am. This isn't about stuff. This is about relationship with the same God who breathed life. And so you can be Paul in chains and in prison with death imminent. You can be Peter on your way to being hung upside down and murdered for your beliefs and still have rich and satisfying life. Because you understand, like Paul said, to live is Christ. I've understood now. Every breath is him. To die is even better because my eyes are open, my ears are open. So when Jesus is saying this, he goes, you can pursue the enemy, the enemy can pursue, you can be stuck in this game of the enemy and things that look like death, like that's, that's the fruit of that. But if you follow after me, whatever there is, you're having a relationship with life, life itself. What is that relationship we see in uh, John 10, verse 9. If you guys can go back to that one. Verse 9. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. That word, Greek word, soto. It's a, it's a three-part word. Sarah teaches about this a lot. Three-part word. They'll be saved. They'll be saved, healed, and delivered. That's what fullness looks like. It doesn't say you get to be a church member and then you get a Lamborghini. It says, my desire is that you would be saved, to be pulled out of trouble, saved, healed, broken things be mended, and delivered. Things that are on you that don't need to be, we begin working those out. That's what that relationship is that Jesus is interested in. He's not trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to like have a relationship with you right here, right now. Heaven just comes later. Right now, he wants to do a work of saving, healing, and delivering. He came that you'd be saved, healed, and delivered. Those things, salvation, healing, deliverance, they're not things that we need to pursue or put on our checklist. They're things that will happen organically when we submit to his leadership. 